Oh, wait. Hold on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spiritual Rebels and Misfits podcast. We are really excited that you're here to get weird with us. (laughs) And we're going to have all kinds of, you know, absurd ideas playing around with magnificent guests. And we're just going to go to places you always wanted to go. But, you know, you can tell mom and dad how you felt about aliens, about channeling. You couldn't say fuck. I'm Ashley Bradley. I am a mom. I am an intuitive business coach. I'm a business psychic and a channel. And I am so much about people just like making money from their magic. Really, like <laughs> And I am James Lester. I am an open homosexual. I'm a speaker, a writer. I am a member of the recovery community, and I am a queer activist. We would love it if you would just give us your your feedback after the episode. Give us a follow. Give us a give us a review. Let us know what you think because we would love. Did you hear like weird audio as well, or is it just me? Is it like talking yeah, like a chipmunk? It kept like muting. Yeah, it kept muting. Uh, that was really weird. It's the beans are not amused by us today, but I am. Well, as long as it's not doing it now, that was really interesting, though. That added a whole layer of extra flavor. Mm. You, yeah. We love being extra. Yeah. <laughs> so today, before we dive into our topic, how to shut shit down with love in your heart, um, mm-hmm. I feel like there was some things that we wanted to like catch up on or reflect on before we bring in Evangeline. Like, remind me of okay. those places we wanted to go. Um, we wanted to talk about cacao. Are we doing that now? Is that what we're doing? Doing later? Now, Free I think Brittany? we'll what save it here? more towards the end, but I do think that we, yes, like we definitely want to make sure at the end that we're talking about the cacao ceremony that we're doing virtually on March 12th, which is in two weeks, two weeks from today. And we're going to, I know we're going to do it after our podcast for people that like to tune in regularly. I know that it's going to be on Zoom, um, but that's going to be really fun. So I think maybe we'll we'll leave with that in case people are like, what the fuck is cacao? And then what does a ceremony mean <laughs> with it? We'll answer those questions, but we've had our own uh, little, I guess, obsession with cacao mm-hmm. recently and have been really into these cacao ceremonies with each other. And with, I know you with other friend groups as well so we just figure why not like bring some intention and i'm sure the cards are going to make an appearance pull some cards and just like how about you shut the fuck up about it if we're going to talk about it after the podcast you just keep going on we're either going to talk about it now or after so we're going to do both yeah (laughs) yeah I heed to you, you divine feminine. (laughs) Hi, Alyssa. (laughs) Hi, Ashley. Ashley R is tuning in. We just had some fun with her. Really? Yeah, we did actually um, shortly before this. Ashley, you'll have to drop a link to your podcast and let us know because I couldn't remember. I'm like, is it the mindful coach? I think it's just the mindful coach, but I know it might be the mindful business coach, but we actually got to interview on her podcast together. And we were talking about our healing journey and the twin flame, like energetics between us and um, like toxic friendships versus healed friendships. 
<laughs> and just bringing, putting our story out there. So that was fun. I felt like we had a little bit of like a warm up conversation, even we though had our, our yeah. origin story, how we came. Our to be. origin story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming into this topic, I feel as though sometimes different interactions or things will enter my field. I don't know what you'll call it. Um, but there was a really interesting thread that I shared with you yesterday mm-hmm. that I think beyond this topic and having conversations, those hard conversations where we're thinking about um, family members is usually where it comes up for me, where you're intervening and you're correcting people. I realized that in this specific thread that it was really hard to see people that wanted the same thing to disagree on how we got there and that that felt really sad and hopeless. And um, in particular, it was like two white women that were putting on this like diversity inclusion training. And there was a lot of different both sides kind of backlash and opinion of like who should be leading trainings and like who, you know, and assumptions that they would be profiting on it. And it was like really interesting and um, sad first off to notice like my reaction to feel like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be a part of the conversation or maybe I shouldn't lean into it. Um, As well as just to notice like, wow, how are we all people that have different opinions meant to like communicate with each other. If we have those same communication breakdowns with people that actually want the same things, but have different perspectives on how we get there. And so that felt really heavy and interesting and strange. And then I was just like, fuck. And like, we are talking about this and like, what, what am I going to bring to this conversation? Like, I feel like you two are going to have more to say. And I always have like, kind of like the weird alien kind of side perspective. And that's been my behind the scenes the last like 24 hours leading up to this. Okay. Well, I, I think, <laughs> I think it's important that we keep, cause this is uh, one of the original conversations. We, it was the original podcast that we had was, you know, when they yeah. don't agree and trying to talk about these difficult, really weird fucking conversations that mm-hmm. society has made even more difficult when everyone's ego gets involved and everyone's not hearing each other. They're like listening to people speak, but they're not hearing. So it gets so frustrating. And when everyone thinks they're right, they know the correct way to go about it. And it just becomes a clusterfuck. But I think it's important we keep coming back to the table. And I know like for me, for for many years, I was so political. A drunk into politics is never a cute thing. And I was so angry about it that when I began my own spiritual journey, I kind of had to like, I felt like I had to shed it or it would totally suffocate me or drown me. Mm. But the truth is that, you know, I know that you sometimes feel disconnected to it in a a way that makes sense. It's kind of healthy. But at the same time, I think it's very important. And I've shared this with you that we make sure that everyone has the opportunity to have the earth life experience that we each deserve. And I understand that that does, you know, come with trials and tribulations, but I think it shouldn't be the trials and tribulations of the things we're seeing nowadays, which is continuing sexism, which drives me bonkers, the racism, the homophobia, mm-hmm. the transphobia. I don't think those are should be our trials and tribulations. I think there's so many other trials and tribulations out in our, our life experience that we need to allow everyone to have the same playing field. So I'm really excited to talk to someone else about this because again like everyone just sometimes with the best intentions just go Mm -hmm. at each other like dogs you know yeah and I think that also the 
there's a few like things that I try to reflect on is like, what's the difference between uh, spiritual uh, bypassing, you know, and being like, oh, but we are all one and it like versus knowing like energetically, like being a mom with two toddlers where I feel like my nervous system is fried, like how much I can give to certain things and when I need to like, like when is it when is it sort of honoring me so I can kind of show up in my energy and be that sparkle that I want to be in the world? Um, and so it, that balance is always really interesting for me, as well as the one that um, I think at times, like I, I find myself being like, I feel like a lot of my family, like I probably annoy the fuck out of them because I always have something to say. I'll be like, well, like it's her second wedding and um, we don't need to say, well, it is a second wedding. And how about we celebrate that it's her. And I feel like I'm always the one that that is teetering that line. And I'm always questioning like, oh, well, I also don't want to be in judgment of them. Like how we added with love in your heart. Like, how do I, how do I intervene in ways that it is coming from a super loving place with them, but also still bringing the perspective in of coming from love and operating from love. And so those are things that I feel really challenged in. And I I think I have a lot of questions. I'm always like questioning of myself and looking to where I can get better, you know? Yeah. And I think that I'm just going to say it as you and I, as white people, like we have struggled with it. Like where, you know, where's our place? Where isn't our place? You know, where can we be inclusive? Where should we shut the fuck up? Cause sometimes mm-hmm. we just do need to shut the fuck up and listen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that it's also important that, and I know there's going to be some people that watch or listen to like, Oh God, you know, enough about white privilege, but there is white privilege, ladies and gentlemen, and we can address it and not be so stern that, oh, just because I'm white doesn't mean that I had an easier life. Well, just because you're white, you didn't have a harder life is sometimes what you have to understand. So we, mm-hmm. we need to talk about it and do it like the title says, with love in our fucking hearts. Yeah. And I do think as well that um, sometimes the spiritual community can be a little like on the love and light side. And it's like, we need to remember that like that action is really important. And I don't even think that everyone's like mission is in life is going to be to be an activist. But I think that it's like, how do we show up and take action in these small moments in these like everyday ways? And I think that Evangeline is probably going to bring in some great wisdom because I do think that she's probably going to have a lot of tools or ways to think about things that help us feel more empowered to show up like that. And it, it does really happen on that level. And I think that anybody that feels like, Oh, well, what am I going to do? I'm just one person. And they tend to kind of like shrink away, you know, for the ease in that moment. If you do care about a world for your kids, for the people that you love, that is easier for everyone where everyone is loved. Right. I do hope that the aliens just do come down and just show everyone like you, you, you fuckers are all way more similar than you think. Like, I, I really wonder what's going to happen like <laughs> in that moment. Um, but it, it is something that I feel like it's like a collective effort. It's like a collective shifting of views. And so if you're the one that thinks that, well, I don't have the problem, then it's your job to be the one that speaks up and says something. And like with love is like, you know, pointing out blind spots. At least that's like how I see it and how we all stay active in it. 
Mm. I do want to say, I do want to lead with, with hope and love. I really do want to, and you and I've had this conversation many times, this generation right behind us, man, like they give me so much hope and, oh, like, you know, my good friend and roommate is, you know, 25, 26 and just gives me so much hope and so much light in my heart by the way that they don't see the things we were taught to see and concentrate yeah. on and focus on, you know, because we're really pre-programmed to notice, you know, the differences, not the similarities and really focus on that. And this generation that I believe is right behind us, it just having conversations with people like in their mid twenties, I'm like, fuck oh, completely. yeah. Like, right. Fuck yeah. Yes. It's delicious. So I want to leave. Yeah. With that. Totally. Know, I mean, sorry. I'm just like getting excited thinking about that. I'm like my sister who's 20 who will like call out my stepdad and like watching the moments of him coming back and apologizing and actually taking it in and seeing that like her saying something shifted his view and got him to think about it. And um, also even with like the longtime friend, uh, past boss that does my hair and him talking about his young kids saying like how, oh yeah, they actually did this whole class. Like he's like, my kids did this whole class for us and they sat us down and they broke it down and it was like a presentation and I'm just like, fuck yeah. Like that's amazing. Like some of these kids are like, you know, probably like not even out of high school yet. And they're thinking in this way, like that is amazing. And, and he's a, like, he's a very Christian man, right? Very. He's yeah. Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And he told me as well, like about his daughter coming out as gay and like how she like wrote this whole like pamphlet. And I, I love as well that I have that relationship with him where I could say like, how do you feel? Does your church accept this? Like, how does that shift your your views. Like, do you feel like there's a values alignment? Like, I just love that I get to have those conversations with him and, um, that he, he's the person though, that's always from love. And it's just like, well, Jesus was hanging out with, um, you know, prostitutes and, you know, rebels. I mean, Mary Magdalene, unfortunately it's like, because there's sex in a woman that she's a fucking prostitute, but tune in next week when we talk about the portrayal of women in the Bible and their stories, <laughs> but that's another topic. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing to understand from this generation behind us is when they, when you have open information, like the generations right behind us have like where they've just been always known the internet's just been there. I mean, you and yeah. I were old enough to be like, when the internet came into our house, we're like, what the fuck? And you know, dial up and everything. But this generation, that's always had open information and can educate themselves they're mm -hmm. not stuck in the same stubborn ways we were raised to be in that this is yeah. all we know so I, I do want to point out that i think a lot of our misperceptions or misguidance in loving one another is just because we were pre-programmed that way and that's okay to admit like we have to start admitting this shit we were pre-programmed to look again at the the differences not the similarities so i'm excited for this conversation i hope everyone will be open-minded if you have any thoughts or comments or questions please drop it in the comments share box. them just like Alyssa is so that we can pull things in. Like, so like Alyssa, if you're saying like, how do we get them to do that? Like, I would love to have you ask like a more specific question. So as we do have Evangeline here, we're going to pull her in in a moment that we can go back and bring in some of your specific questions. Um, it does remind me that book that we were reading on the way back from Sedona, um, that she talks about divine intolerance and how the, the newer generations, including the millennials were, were installed with this kind of up-leveled 
software, so to speak, where people like to complain about them, but they're just like, they have some divine intolerance where they're just like, uh, uh-uh, like this does not work for me. Like we have to change things because this isn't what it looks like. So I just think that it makes me laugh about it, but let's bring in Evangeline. Yes. Hello. How are Hello. you? I am doing okay. North Carolina has We've had some ice storms and now it's it's uh, just cold and sunny and I'm okay with that. Wow. Will you introduce like what you do and who you are? Because I I feel like I, I meant to say that part and we just get so sucked into it that I didn't even like talk about your amazing background. <laughs> that is a-okay. I am a white, Jewish, queer, anti-racist mom. And I'm an organizational development consultant, so I work with organizations and campaigns and different groups of people who want to live their values out. So what does it mean to say what our values are, and then how do you put them into practice? And most of my work is gender and race related. So those are two front and center social identities that I spend a lot of time working with. And lately, I've been kind of obsessed with white people work. So I'm really glad to be here and to talk about how we can continue this work. I I love this idea of divine intolerance. And I'd like to think that I am also uh, divinely intolerant. I was ahead of my time, maybe different generation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just loving the, the energy you bring in right away, man. Like, honestly, like the minute you started speaking, like my soul like sat up and was like, hello. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, like, if you think about, like, what's really needed as this next layer to, like, keep these conversations going, like, how do you view that? Yeah, I I was listening to y'all talking before, and um, so I have two things that came up for me. One is that oftentimes when we're having conversation with folks who aren't ready to kind of shift their perspective or we're, perce- we're perceiving pushback, the conversation is happening at an individual level. And it's hard for people, well, people have not been educated about the degree to which racism or transphobia is systemic. So it isn't just about like individual um, people having differences of opinions. It's about systems and the legal system, the institution of the church, the institution of, of public education. So these, these isms that create oppression are operating at a system level. But when I'm just telling my uncle that his sexist joke didn't work for me, it turns into this like one-on-one thing about individuals. And I think for me, something that can be effective is to say, well, let's peel it back. It's not just about my uncle's joke. It's about like all of the things that um, weigh on us from an institutional level. So that was one thing that I thought about. And then the second thing I thought about was um, that it's really hard to be judgmental and curious at the same time. Mm. So when I start to feel myself getting pissed off or frustrated, I, I, I sort of go through this process in my head of thinking about like, what could I be curious about right now? Like, what what is it that I could think about my uncle? Like, where did he grow up? What was his dad like? Who is this person that I'm in conflict with right now? And try to come up with a curious question. Because if I'm asking a curious question, I'm there's a good chance that I'm not judging at the same time. It's hard for those two energies to, to coexist. Mm. So I just want to ask you real quick, 
a little bit about your own background, you know, your kind of own origin story, like how, what brought you to this, you know, gateway, this doorway in life that you do the work that you do, if, if you don't mind. No, I was actually, when I was coming up to my office a few minutes ago, I was like, God, I hope they ask me that, the, <laughs> my, that's that question. So um, I really appreciate it, James. Um, so I'm a little bit weird. I, I love the name of your show because I feel like I own the the label. Yes. Um, but when I was like uh, 11, 12 years old, I was I grew up in Westchester County, north of New York City. And I remember walking around in Westchester and it, particularly the parking lots. But I remember thinking like there's bones under this asphalt. Like we killed all these Indians and we're living on their land and we're putting up like grocery stores and department stores. And there's like all these dead people and nobody wants to talk about the dead people. And I feel like my, I'm 53 years old now. So that was 40 years ago. And I feel like I've spent 40 years trying to assuage that my, the 13 year old in me, right. I've been, I'm like looking for answers of like, where are the white adults that could have answered me that could have helped me hold the genocide of American Indians and I could say more about it, but I've just, I've been weird a long time, I guess. And the more I tried to find answers, like who wants to talk about white supremacy, um, the more I found my people, read the books I needed to read, got mentorship, ended up in spaces that were nurturing and challenging. And um, I feel really lucky that people invested in me. And so now I feel like I'm the kind of adult that is ready to answer a child's question about like, why is there genocide and why did white people do this? Mm. Mm. Do you find that there's been some challenges like the story that I shared where you went through a lot of questioning of yourself or had pushback? I guess I'm just curious about that aspect of it too. Um, I mean, I think it's looked different ways. I think it's totally challenging. I think social justice movements are, um, I mean, if we wanted to pull it, to talk about it in a political frame, I think that on the right, there's a, a more monolithic alignment because the ideology is more like one God, right? They're not having like a black Jesus debate over there. Um, but on the, on the left, I think we're trying to create these big tents. We're trying to build these political agendas that are multi-issue agendas, right? I love Audre Lorde's, like we don't live single issue lives. We live multi-issue lives, right? So I'm Jewish, I'm queer, but I'm also, I also have a graduate degree. I'm also white I'm I'm middle-class. So I'm holding, I'm holding the both and. And I think that when we're in multiracial spaces that have class differences, that have faith differences, um, people are trying to figure out, find their way. And I think that my, my take is that white people have less tolerance for a conversation about white supremacy than, um, than is helpful in those kinds of spaces because we, we want to talk about classism or we want to talk about um, uh, shifting the conversation to something else, sexism, um, homophobia. And so what I've really enjoyed in my work is trying to help white people who are queer or who are women um, or um, to, to, to have, be willing to talk about our, our mainstream identities, to be able to talk about being white, to be able to talk about having access to um, comfort and freedom that so many black and brown people don't have in this country. 
So can I ask you, you know, you've been like immersed in the curiosity and probably the rage of this for 40 years. How has this last year where, you know, it's always been bubbling mm. under the surface and it really should have always been a focus point. But this last year, let's be real, it kind of busted at the seams. How has this last year been a ride for you? Do you feel more hope, less hope? Yeah, um, I I am stunned. I am stunned that um, it ha- it, it's, I don't feel like it's like a, this last year was different. I feel like we have cycles of this, right? Trayvon Martin, that wasn't this last year, but like, it's like a young, a young black kid gets shot by the police and suddenly there's like an upswing or there's like a surge of interest or people want to have conversation. But I, I think that um, we just cycle through, like, I, I know that there's a lot of people now for whom like the conversation is on a downswing and there's not that much interest and it's taking a lot of energy from black and brown people and white people who are interested in keeping the conversation alive to like keep shaking the tree, keep saying, no, 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 let's not let the momentum go away. We still need to do this. Um, On a practical level, I've been very busy. You know, I've been very, very busy since about May, but I do this work all the time. Um, It's just that the audience is more frantic. I think there's like a franticness in white led institutions with like, oh my God, we have to do something. And um, there's something kind of dangerous in some regard about that moment. Um, when, when an event, a public event is the thing that triggers an organization to want to make a difference. Um, there's, there's some steps in that process that can be missed because as, as leaders, sometimes I think white leaders are just like, they feel so amped up. Like I have to do something to prove that I'm not an asshole. So here I go. And they just jump in. And I think sometimes that can cause more harm. So I think I've had a, a bit of a roller coaster of a time um, with trying to kind of say, well, actually, maybe the first step is not some big statement on your website that says Black Lives Matter and some big outward facing thing. Maybe the first step is talking with your the people that work with you and, and having a reality check that's internal. Um, so I don't know if that is getting at some of what you're asking, but it's it's definitely flying. The fur is flying fast. No, absolutely. It's it's more real uh, realism about what's going on because I I have seen a lot of that backlash about companies that overreact or overreach or like you said, really try to prove they're not assholes and make this big grand stance. And you know, my my friends that are of color have kind of been like, "What the fuck? Like, where were you two years ago? Where were you five years ago? Like, kind of jumping on the train." So I I have seen a lot of that. So yeah, absolutely, that answers that question. I'm kind of curious though, like that, um, because there's, there's times where people might be like, yes, like, thanks for leaning in and other people that don't like how you're leaning in. Like <laughs> I found myself on more subtle levels, um, really noticing the discomfort of like feeling necessarily like I, I can't take a s- action or a step forward without pissing somebody off. And yes. And it's, and it's usually the people, it's more the ones that I feel actually really aligned with where we want the same thing that I'm talking about here, not the people right. that are still. And so I guess I'm just curious, like, of, of how you, you might shift us on that. Cause I'm sure that I'm not the only one that is feeling a little bit, um, right. of, you know, how to sit with that, how to maybe just right. embrace it and keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting that that's where you landed. Cause it's kind of where I was going to go. I, 
I think one of the things about being white that is super weird is that we we expect to be comfortable. We're sort of, I mean, especially for those of us that grew up middle class, and I don't want to make assumptions about how y'all grew up, but it's like there's this expectation that things are going to be comfortable, they're going to be polite, there's going to be, we're going to make an agenda, we're going to follow the agenda. Nobody, you know, like we were talking about cussing before, like nobody's going to say, fuck this shit in the staff room, <laughs> Like we just, we, we have this assumption of a certain kind of decorum. And some people might call that whiteness and some people might just call that middle-classness and some people might just call that um, kindness. I don't know. But I think that one of the things that I see breakdown that you're describing, you're getting at Ashley is the, um, that when, when we make an effort and it doesn't go smoothly right away, maybe I use the wrong word. Maybe my timing is off. Maybe I interrupted somebody who was talking when I brought my idea. Um, Whatever the thing is that I didn't do right. Um, it's almost like I go into a shame spiral. You know how Brene Brown talks about shame spirals? It's like I start to flush and I start to feel like, oh my God, everybody thinks I'm racist and everyone in the room is staring. And I start going into all this storytelling in my head about how I fucked up and I shouldn't even be here. And all of that is because I enter into the space expecting that I'm going to have smart things to say. It's going to be comfortable. I have something to contribute. And there's in some regard, there's nothing wrong with having that story, right? Like, it's better than having the story, I'm a jerk. But I, I think there's a little bit of a setup there for us. Because then when it's messy, we're like surprised. Holy shit, this is messy. And I think what I want to, one of the things that I teach with a lot of my friends and colleagues is how to be uncomfortable. Like how to somatically, physiologically, in our bodies, mm-hmm. tolerate a level of discomfort that is that it, maybe last week or last year you would have said is intolerable because it's going to be messy and you will be misunderstood and people will tell you you're doing it wrong. But the aha or the, the gift of that is that you're at the table, right? You're at the table. You're not getting Chick-fil-A, right? You're not like, over, not, not that there's anything wrong with Chick-fil-A, you know, I'm not going to pick on them, but it's like, I you're will. not. Okay. <laughs> you're not, you're not like absent from the conversation. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes when white people, it's like, we want to be allies. Well, do we recognize that being an ally means we're going to hear rage and unhappiness and frustration a lot of the time because shit is on fire. Um, so that's, that's a thing. I see there's a note here. Yeah. So let's see. She says the part, oh, she says the part about my generation having always had internet just gave me a whole new understanding because I always get so angry that people aren't Googling things, but I guess it's just not how they've, it's been for them. So that is an interesting curiosity, I guess. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think that I don't know, I don't want to speak for all my colleagues of color, but I think many, many of them, and certainly I feel this way sometimes is like, why can't you read a book? right? Why can't you look it up? Um, So putting people of color on the spot, for example, to like explain something like what is Juneteenth? And it's like, you know, the internet is a beautiful thing. (laughs) Well, I think it kind of goes to that where if it doesn't directly affect me and someone doesn't spoon feed me the answer, I'm not going to go look it up. But I I think the the interesting thing that Alyssa was bringing up in that comment is I, I always explain it this way that, you know, when I was growing up, I was taught these are the people to fear. These are the places to go. This is how to react to this person. And that was it. 
you know, there was no internet unless I did some like real like digging in libraries and really researching. And, and libraries in Orange County weren't carrying the information that were really going to, you know, woke make me woke. I hate using that word. But, you know, that was it. And for me, it was really I grew up in a very white trash family. I'll say it white trash. There was a lot of racism. There was a lot of homophobia, even though I've been very noticeably homosexual all my life. There was a lot of intolerance. And it it, it was that that ping inside me, like, this doesn't fit. This doesn't right. feel right to my soul. So I think that's the problem with my generation and the generations like <laughs> moving forward in age, that is that that's how they were set. Unless they do some soul searching, nothing really is going to change. Yeah. I mean, I, I really heard you, you before I jumped in talking about young people. And I have a tremendous excitement and happiness for the curriculums that are in some schools and the leadership that young people are bringing. And if we look at the election results, like white men, regardless of age, so, you know, 22 year old white men still tended to vote conservatively. So I, I think that there's there's definitely a cut around age. But I think that, oh, I'm going to use the word Trump, that whiteness trumps <laughs> age. And I think that there's um, a powerful, seductive drug, ideological drug. Um, and I think that it's because of capitalism. I think that we are pitted against each other and we are um, we don't want to talk about class. We don't want to talk about the connections. And we want to poor people are portrayed as people of color and when, and rarely are white people portrayed as poor. Like that's why the show Roseanne was such a hit. I don't know if I'm, if I'm, if you are, I don't know how old you are, but that show was such a hit because it was like a working class family, a white working class family. And I just think there's some, there's some digging around to do around how white people um, pit are, are pitted, poor white people are pitted against people of color and wealthier white people get to, get win they get to win in that formula so where do you think this is going to sound like a pretty juvenile question but where do you think someone can start the journey to really understand this like uh, some white man or woman or boy let's say like in their teens where do we really start when we feel we have nowhere to go to start this journey Mm. it's really hard i think white guys have a much don't have as, as many resources because I think toxic masculinity also makes it hard for white men to say, I don't know. You know, one of the things that I, I talk with my son about all the time, like he's only 13 and I'm like, if you get in a car and they want to smoke pot and you don't want to be in that car and you're afraid, what are you going to say? Like, I'm trying to like train him to say, pull the damn car over. I'm getting out. Like, how do I push back against that peer pressure? Right. Um, and I'm like, if you want to smoke pot, we'll figure that out. But you're not going to have pot. Um, so I love you. <laughs> it's like it's it's a hard space to. I, I think there are always books. I think there are so many good movies. I think there's so much good stuff on the internet. Um, Ibrahim Kendi came out with sta- a, a young people version of Stamped, which is an illustrated novel, which is fantastic. Um, so I don't know if you want me to like name particular resources, but I the big message I want to say to white people who want to dig into this is you can't do it by yourself. You have to have a buddy. 
And that's why white caucusing is so de rigueur right now, right? Everybody wants to have a white caucus. And in some ways, it's a little obnoxious. But in other ways, it's, there's an actually really practical reason for it, which is that if I, my, my colleagues and friends who are people of color don't want to hear me cry and don't want to hear me fret and they don't want to, be, they don't want to hear me talk about my racist uncle. Um, so I need a place where I can do my work as a white person. And that's other white people. So if if one of my pieces of advice to young people would be to find a friend and like decide to read a book together, decide to listen to a podcast, the Brown Sisters, How to Survive the End of the World podcast is a great podcast, um, social justice oriented. So there's like so many good things to do, but you need some place to, to debrief it. You need some place to unpack it. And if you're all by yourself in your head, um, it's, it's much harder, I think, for people to kind of internalize like, oh, shit, I'm going to be white my whole life. I better figure this out. <laughs> so uh, if I can. So the second part of the title of our show is what really interests me. And uh, I think the people that we kind of spoke to or reacted to it is, you know, we associate with a lot of people that are allies as, you know, ikis that work and feel some, sometimes but that how to deal with these things with love in your heart, because I know I can go to that rage end of the stick real quick. And I feel like sometimes rage is appropriate if it's maintained and doesn't become violence and it's, you know, well articulated, but, you know, let's get to the part with how do we do this with love in our heart and don't turn to hate or animosity amongst us. Yeah. Um, the biggest tool for that is to remember that we haven't always known what we know. And if I can remember my journey story, if I can remember places where I was homophobic or I was transphobic or I didn't understand something, I was saying something anti-Semitic, like I needed people to invest in me. I needed people to lean in and, and teach me. And so when I'm, when I'm feeling pissed off at another way person, um, I'm losing the opportunity to educate them because who wants to be, who, who wants to receive their education, like in a, by someone who's like losing their shit. Right. Um, and I always have kind of this value when I'm working with a group of people that at the end of it, I want anyone in the room to want to have another conversation with me. Mm. And if I'm too hard, if I'm too harsh, people are just going to be like, yeah, she's a bitch. And they're going to walk away. So um, one of my colleagues, Carrie Points, love her, love her, love her. We, we always talk about the punch pet. And it's like you have to challenge people, but then you have to be kind. It's like challenge kind, challenge kind, challenge kind. And there's a, a wonderful organizer in, um, in New Orleans, Wendy, uh, Wendy O'Neill. And one of the things that she says, she's a black dyke and she's been organizing forever um, in faith spaces, actually. And she says that accountability without support is just mean. Mm. And support without accountability is just this like vapid ass kissing. So if all we do is like, yes, people, yes, 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 you're great, you're wonderful. That doesn't have any, that's not significant. It's not holding them accountable. It's not digging into the realness. On the other hand, if all we do is say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, the person doesn't feel supported. They feel bullied. And they're like, well, I'm not going to sit here and be bullied. So I think the place to tap in with the love in your heart is to be curious. So tell me, what exactly 
you know, what do you think Trump did to help America? Or what what exactly about that joke is funny? Like, I'm confused. I don't understand how that's funny. Or have you ever met a gay person, Jewish person, trans person? You know, I want to understand more where you're coming from. So not in a cheeky, fake way, but in a genuine, like, tell me more about your life. Um, I think that's how I can stay in my heart is if I show up with that kind of curiosity. Um, but then there's times where I lose, like you have to pick, like, I don't think Facebook is a great place to, to, to do this work. And I think we can get into lots of like blocking and, you know, all this kind of weird drama that happens on social media that would never happen in the classroom. It would look really different in a classroom. A person wouldn't just like get up and walk out the same way that they do that kind of dramatic exit in a Facebook group, for example. So I, I, I think there's um, picking the right people that you want to be in relationship with. And not every person needs to have a conversation, right? Like I, I've had days where I've worked really hard and then I'm at the grocery store and I just want to get a couple of groceries and get home. And I just spent all day talking about racism. And there's some interaction in front of me with the cashier and a person of color, or maybe the cashier is the person of color. And there's some negative interaction going on. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, I just spent all day doing this. And now I'm going to do it again, right? And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't, but I don't lose sleep over it. I'm not going to sit there going, oh my God, I'm a terrible white person because I didn't intervene again, because we all need to stay centered. And if I intervene in a way that's not centered and isn't grounded and isn't from my heart, I'm putting that person of color at risk. I'm not the person at risk. So we have to make strategic decisions about when we're going to, when we're going to be more than just a bystander. And I don't want to sit here in judgment of like, James, when you decide to do that, or Ashley, when you decide to do that. And I don't want to be judged by you either. Right. I like we that's part of what Ashley's talking about is like, let's not be shitty to each other. Let's figure it out. Like I'll, I'll take care of it this time. And next week, James will take care of it. And the week after that, Ashley will get that person at the grocery store. It's like, we don't all have totally. to be frothing. Yeah. And I would like to see more um, question asking, you know, and more curiosity as well with, within just the groups of people that have different opinions on who should be educating and how it's done. And, you know, the whole, I think I thought it was interesting that there was an assumption that someone was profiting about over something. And I was like, wow, like, how do they know what's profit for her? Like she could charge $10,000 an hour and this could be like just paying for her time and the expenses of the coursework. And it's, um, I think that um, if, if anything, it's like just having more curiosity all the way around. So I think that's something I'm really taking away. There was a few um, comments here. So Alyssa was saying, I've been really struggling with the idea that being into politics is not very spiritually wise or something along those lines. I'm wondering what an opinion on politics, um, yeah, I guess opinion on politics and spirituality coexisting. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, um, I, I would flip it and I would say that I wish there were more, I wish there was more politic in spiritual communities. Mm. I wish that spiritual communities had more honest conversation about power because I have seen so many spiritual communities be reduced to ashes because leaders showed up in their power in crappy, horrible ways and didn't respect boundaries and didn't own their power. So in some ways I feel I mean, this is just my take, Alyssa, like 
I think politics is always there. I don't think that we like we I don't think there's a neutral. I think like if you some people say, well, I'm not political. I don't vote. But like that is political. Not voting is political. So I think that every choice we make has a political implication where you buy your groceries, where you buy your clothes, um, where you do your banking. All of those choices are political choices. But I I think for me, my spiritual calling is to help white people recognize that we have we have been advantaged historically in the United States and that that causes us deep, deep harm spiritually and emotionally because we can't have meaningful conversations with people of color. And that's um, I feel like that's a spiritual harm. So for me, my spiritual work is to engage with white people, spiritual white people, religious white people, atheist white people, um, all kinds of white people, and help us connect to our hearts and help us connect to each other so that we can start building relationships across race and show up across race in ways that are not harmful. And I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but I, I think you're already involved in politics. And I would encourage you to think about like, what is it that you're doing in your life that may be political that you don't think is political? Um, yeah. You, I got to tell you, you just honestly gave me like such an aha moment because I've felt a lot like Alyssa has felt, you know, there's this really great quote slash story about Mother Teresa and then like trying to get, like get her to march against the war. And they said, will you join us? And she goes, no, like, you know, tell me about a march for peace. And I'll, I'll join that. And that's always been kind of my, my cop-out a little bit. I, I'm going to call it a cop-out for the last few years since I've disengaged politics, even though you're pointing out I never really did. That, like, I can't. I need to go for it to be about peace, not about it. In, in that I'm causing spiritual harm because I'm not connecting with other people of color and having those meaningful discussions with them because I'm disengaging. So, honestly, like, thank you for that. Hmm. Yeah, I would love there to be a Department of Peace, you know? I would be very excited for Department of Peace. <laughs> okay. We are a coastal leftist who has recently moved to northern Michigan, where some of the elected uh, leaders are outwardly racist and sexist, as are much of the local population. How do we eclipse the growing national movement of unapologetic white male supremacy? Dang. Yeah. Um, that's a beautiful challenge. And I do think that it has become a, a national movement of white male supremacy. And I, I, I hope that more white men will become more visible and more vocal. Um, I, I don't know if women's voices are gonna, gonna be effective in this work. I'm, I'm really questioning and looking for more white men who will stand. And there are a few people doing that work, um, but it's not, it's not as much courage as we, we need. We need much more courageous vision from white men who will model that. And if we stop and we think like, who are the governors? Who are the, you know, who are the people who are getting the mic? Who are the people on television who are modeling what it means to call out racism? Um, it's really hard. Like you could sit here and scratch your head for a long time. Um, and it's, uh, it's a big problem. So I, I don't exactly know how to, to answer that question. I think it's a good one. And I feel like I'm working hard on my side, but I don't know. I don't know if white men in positions of power or those, those people that stormed the Capitol, like, I think people need, uh, they need jobs. I think people need to have access to, um, 
to jobs and that will make white supremacy less appealing. Like we won't need to rely on white supremacy to feel important if we're able to have good jobs and build community in other ways so that white supremacy isn't the way that we're building community with one another. And right now there's very few ways for at least straight cis white guys to um, to build community. They're not doing it on the dance floor. And um, I'm not, it's like, we have to offer, we have to offer something culture wise. And I don't know what that, that offering is. Cause it's, it's not happening in Christian churches. It's not happening in synagogues. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is. It's not fashion, right? Like, what is it? What is the white male culture thing that's going to be more appealing than toxic masculinity and white supremacy? And when we figure that out, there, there will be a better alternative for them than what, what we've been seeing for the last decade or the last 500 years, frankly. Mm-hmm. So uh, real quick, I just, sorry, Ashley, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you and I were having kind of a discussion beforehand about how, you know, you and I being queer about how our own community you know, is kind of, it's been kind of frustrating to see them really step up and A, ask for our own representatives of the queer community to do better, but us individually to do better. At least that's what I saw a lot. I was really proud that, you know, in LA and Hollywood, you know, they finally did make like a big push, but it came far too late. Uh, But like, how do we as minorities help other minorities, if that makes sense? Yeah, this is a big one for my wife. She's always like, if every single person who was a minority got together, there would be like billions of us and like <laughs> 10 of them. Um, so she's totally drinking from your fountain there. Um, I, I think it's scary. I think people, you know, you get a little bit of taste of power, you get a little bit of yours and you want more for you. And that other part, like we've been sold We've been sold a divide and conquer politic and we bought it. We believe it. Right. So I have to go for what's mine. And if I let go a little bit of what's mine um, and you see that a lot in electoral politics and like when we're trying to get a bill passed and the trans community gets, you know, like X'd out of the bill, like the LGB and then the T gets left behind. I mean, that was like the entire, I don't know, I want to say from, 2002 to 2012, like that decade was spent watching that. And, um, and I, I think that we have to have a clear understanding that if the United States of America is not safe for the most vulnerable people in it, it's not safe for anyone. And so how do we work to make the country the safest it can be for the most marginal, the most vulnerable, right? And that that is a, it's kind of like universal design. If we build our democracy to meet the needs of the most vulnerable, then it's going to meet everybody else's needs too, right? And if that's how corporate America ran their call centers and their, their fulfillment centers, I won't go picking on any particular company, but, um, you know, the, then the country would be better. So I, I believe that gay pe- white LGBT people need to be in full solidarity with black and brown LGBT people and that cutie pop people um, deserve queer trans people of color need um, the, the, our allyship, our support. We need to follow instead of lead. We need to give, we need to tithe 
to cutie pop organizations and mm-hmm. recognize that like that's where our attention needs to be. Um, and I, I think that it's really challenging because we're we can get attached to, but I'm a minority, right? I'm scared. And it's hard. It's really hard. When Trump got elected in North Carolina the first time in 20 or in 2016, when Trump got elected, I um I was less afraid as an as a gay person and I was afraid as a Jew. And it was interesting because my queer friends were all running around being like, oh my God, oh my God, Trump won the election. And I wasn't really thinking about the fact that I was gay. I was thinking about the fact that I was Jewish. I wasn't hearing any of my LGBT friends concerned about me for being Jewish. It's like, it was like somehow they were, they were not feeling their safeness as Christians. They were feeling threatened as queers. Do you, do you understand? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where they maintain control or how they keep the minorities from really being on even par is because we're so busy fighting for our own niche mm-hmm. and we don't right. reach out for the next niche. Same with like Latin uh, culture reaching out for black culture and the black culture re- reaching out for the, the white queer community. We're so busy fighting for our little niche and even women in politics have come up. They're so busy fighting to stay a woman in politics that they can't help the queer community or the black community. So that's absolutely, I, I get it a hundred percent. So if we're busy fighting for the queer side, like protect the queers, we're not looking at the Jew side of it. it right. Yes. And, you know, one of my mentors um, says we get wounded at our margin. We get wounded in the places of our identity that are marginalized. And we fight back from our mainstream. We fight back from the parts of us that have power. So I might feel my woundedness as a Jewish person in my example. Right. I felt poked. I felt threatened as a Jew. But when I showed up, I was pissed off with my whiteness, right? Like, like I, I can be reactive and use my power as a white person. So I think I see a lot of that in the LGBT community is that we get wounded as queers, right? We're sick of patriarchy. We're sick of straight people. We're sick of all this heteronormative cisgender garbage coming at us all the time. But because I'm white, Right. Because you're white, we might be pissed off and in our pissed offness, use our white privilege to enact our frustration. So that's why that coalition building that you're talking about is so important, because I need someone to check me. Right. You, I need someone to be able to say, hey, I got this. You you can be a, you can follow. You don't need to lead right now. I got to tell you, thank you so much for this conversation, man. Like I, it has refilled my cup. So I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, I keep thinking that the age of Aquarius is very much about the fall of systems and the invisible systems becoming um, clear to us <laughs> and them dissolving. And it's it's interesting that when I think that we see how they're all woven together at one point, it's exactly what you're talking about and that we can all come together. I think that that's really like whoever, you know, the one in power is those in power is like the more that they can keep us separate, we can't figure out and kind of talk about <laughs> how it all interconnects. So I think that I'm also with your wife and that like, oh, if we just all got together and went at this together, think about how great that could be. Um, will you talk about your workshop before you leave or your training that you're holding? I did drop the link. Yeah, I just found out today that it's sold out. 
I was like, that's awesome. ah, amazing. They're gonna ask me about my workshop, and I'm gonna be like, there's no more tickets. But we do have a waiting list on the Eventbrite, and people can sign up to get on our our waiting list, and we'll do the workshop again. But I um, I facilitate uh, with Carrie Points a workshop um, for white women to examine our own internalized white dominance or white supremacy, and it's a five week workshop, and it's fantastic. And um, I really appreciate uh, the shout out to it's Finding Freedom is the name of the workshop um, based on an Ann Braden letter. Ann Braden was a white civil rights worker um, from Alabama. And she talked about how white women need to get our shit together. It was much more eloquent than that. Um, And I don't know, is it, I think I could put the chat or in the chat, I could put my website. People want to get in touch with me. And I, um, I'm really, really grateful for the invitation and I will come back and talk about any, anything, anytime, but social justice is always a, um, a good one for me. You can count on it. Well, I'd also like you to invite you to whenever you feel like it in our group on Facebook, anytime you're holding a, a workshop or anytime there's a speaking engagement for people that want to get in better alignment with the oneness that we're seeking in this universe, please drop any information at any time because I know I'll be looking for it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Like an example is if, uh, you know, the cacao ritual, the Aztecs and the Mayans from 1500 BC, it's like. There, it's like if I want to support white people to get in touch with like what are the rituals that our ancestors did, right? What were the druids up to? What, I don't know who your people are, but like what were what were our people doing um, a thousand years ago, and how can we find our heritage and our ancestry? Um, so, in addition to celebrating the Aztecs and the Mayans, um, I think there's just a there's like a lostness that I. I would like to encourage us to, to figure out, but I appreciate the invite James and I will definitely do that. I will come knock on y'all's door. Well, yeah. Anytime you want to come to the round table, I'd love to see you. Thank you so much for your time with us today. No, thanks for having me and being so generous with the time. I really appreciate it. Mwah, thank you, you, Evangeline. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. So I did drop her links. I just dropped her website um, in the comments as well. We don't have the beautiful Solange here tonight. I think she's doing her sort of baby moon. So I was like trying to do my best to do what Solange usually helps us with behind the scenes. But I will put it if you're listening to the audio version of this. I am putting both links for the waitlist for the workshop as well as for her website in the show notes. So make sure that you look at that. Any final thoughts from you, my lovely? Well, I mean, something that kind of, and I don't know if this thought is going to make sense to you, but like, you know, we're talking about like all these minorities and I sometimes feel that like my, my white straight friends feel like it's like an attack on them to talk about this. And I want, I want people to understand it's not an attack on white people or straight people because they they've had the privilege of being in the center. So it's not an attack. It's not trying to like, it's trying to make sure that we do become that one, that whole. Mm. And until we can get everyone to let go of their premeditated resentments of certain cultures and certain uh, sexual orientations that needs to be spoken about until we can Mm. get to that place of oneness. I always feel like that, like if I get like too activist or too queer about something that people are like, Oh my God, he like hates straight people or Oh my God, he hates his own race. And it's like none of the above. 
it's, you know, it's time to get to that oneness that the age of Aquarius is calling us to, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that, yeah, I do wonder sometimes if like a lot of that is our, sometimes we make up stories or worst case scenarios of like what other people might say or how much they're thinking about us that comes up as well as like, I think I always have to remember to not take things personally or make it like feel like a personal attack because I do understand, like I, I definitely have sensitivities and of course, like I love to be right. I will admit that. And I come, I think actually, (laughs) I think actually what's the hardest thing is that like, it's really important to me to come from like a really loving and intentional place And I think that's always been the hardest for me. Even like back in the day when you and I were managing restaurants and you would see me like in tears because they thought I was a bitch or whatever I was being, you know, (laughs) a young woman that's a boss. But (laughs) I think that it's like that was that's I always have to put myself in check and like and do my own work as well. I think of building my own resilience in those moments and remember that like if I feel that way it's not because someone made me feel that way and I think Evangeline was talking about the discomfort like it's true like I'm all about the divine feminine and I'm like that's the fucking chaos and the mess and like the innovation comes out of the chaos and I agree that like I've been in so much you know discomfort in my own processes I think I think I just sometimes feel like the weight of the world. It's like my kids are one in three. I fucking get woken up certain nights. It's getting better every two hours. And I'm just like, how do I hold all of this as like a mom, a a business owner and taking this on that? Like, if anything, I feel guilty that I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough of the trainings or reading enough of the books. And like, I have that guilt that I'm like not doing enough. And it's like finding that way to just like be gentle and know that like, like I think how she was saying that was so helpful to be like, Hey, what we're going to do is going to look different for each of us and with where we're at. And um, that was just like personal backstory vomit, but yeah. (laughs) I I very much appreciate her talking about, we can't be saviors, you know, we can't fix it. Like, I mean, there's times that, you know, I do interject when I hear, racist comic or sexist comments or homophobic homophobic comments but there's the other times where i just my i'm exhausted you know i'm exhausted and we can't we can't hold the weight of the world on our shoulders we need to do it together so i love everything she had to say so we're running a little over let's hit the cacao button let's talk about it oh yeah yeah it's interesting i was like i want to ponder um I do want to ponder Evangeline's com- like the comment towards the end. Cause I get curious. I'm just like, I don't feel like the white people background that I'm just like, I don't know sometimes what their traditions were. And I'm like, and I don't know if they were good, great ones that I want to associate with. <laughs> but I also think that there's times where I have to remain grounded because I think the more that I've worked in, um, you know, the business mystic side of doing readings. And like, I opened a kind of like the multidimensionality and the past lives that I have to remember to be grounded in this life. And that this one is the most important one for me, but at times I don't even feel connected with the human race. <laughs> like I, I feel like you and I always talk about that feeling of being so different or outsiders and, um, and it's not even, 
because I'm like a woman or my own identity, it's just like that weird, I can't explain it feeling. And I try to reground in what my reality is and what my physical body is, because I think that um, at times the spirituality, I zoom out and I think about it differently. So these conversations bring me back down and um, that's the bizarre truth of it for me. <laughs> when I need you to talk about the cacao now. Okay. Well, you're going to need to lead it because I just, I just have endless ponderings that okay. I, yeah. Well, you can, you, it's beautiful to ponder. So basically uh, we're going to be doing a live cacao on the 12th, correct? Directly. Yeah, it's through Zoom and it's so, it, there'll be like a link that we'll do. Um, we're talking about doing donation based so that no one's going to be turned away. If you can't contribute even a dollar, totally fine. You're so welcome. Um, but we do want to have that, that energy exchange for us and for the podcast, just to be able to continue to like do these things for free and have a more like amazing events. And, um, we really want to get like, you know, just like other fun things going on on the podcast. Um, but what we're going to do you want to talk about what we're going to do or will they can go look that well, up. Well, I want to keep it like a, a mystery, but like we're, for those of you that aren't familiar with cacao, cause I wasn't tell just a couple months ago when Ashley and Sarah were so gracious to introduce into my life, we're going to be talking about cacao, kind of its origins, walk you through like a ceremony. What I love about cacao, it's all about gratitude and really center heart opener. Yeah. yeah. Opens the mm -hmm. heart, really inviting spirit in. So we're just going to do it as a group and really explore it together. And, you know, donation based, if you got like a little money to throw our way so we can expand the podcast, because that's our intention with it, that'd be awesome. But we're just yeah. going to spend some time after the podcast, like having a delicious cacao ceremony together. Yeah, because it's um, the cacao. The other thing I wanted to say is like, it's okay. Like if you don't want to go out and get cacao, like, I think it's more about the intention of it and the community and how we like activate each other when we're in this like place where we all feel like we're with, with like, I guess, kindred spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, but we will share a link because Sarah, she actually does sell this like ceremonial grade um, kind of cacao. And it's like, I learned that ceremonial grade is actually more about the energetics and where it comes from. And like, sort of like the processing of it beyond the quality. And so we'll share links for anybody that has like their own interest in cacao and they want to get it separately. We'll put that in the um, event or just be like, Hey, this is my fucking green tea or whatever it is. That's up your alley. And just, hang out with us or even your hemp infused drinks or freaking yeah. mart martini if you feel like it no judgment but we're just going to get together as a community and really get into gratitude and open that that heart chakra yeah so it'll be i know march 12th and it'll be um shortly after i want to say like around 6 30 pacific we'll say on march 12th so just look out for the invite in our group and we're excited to see you guys and like actually get to interact with you on zoom rather than just seeing you in comment form. All right. This has been an amazing conversation. I love you. I love you. Bye everybody. Bye.